Hi Darklings, the following episode contains opinions and speculation and should be taken as such. These stories depict violent crimes of all types and may be a trigger for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Darkened Doorway podcast, your doorway to everything dark, crimey and weird. Hi Darklings and welcome back. So, what's happening? stuff lots of stuff but i won't bore you with that but you told me something just a minute ago that you had learnt this week something exciting that you'd learnt ah. that i um hadn't actually well, thought about before yeah it's kind of cool actually so i've got a dog who for our lovely listeners out there hey guys um <laughs> a dog who is allergic to everything and we've never really been able to pin down what exactly it is that makes her skin so yucky and and stuff like that but I found out the other day that that your animals can actually be allergic to human dander. So our dead skin cells. Ugh, disgusting. Yeah. So it's the same as like when you've got an allergy to fur and it's because of the dander on their fur getting onto you and your body going, yeah, nah. But apparently we do the same thing. So I'm wondering if she's allergic to me and that's the problem. And do I need to be left at the pound with someone saying, Oh, the dog saying like, oh, we can't keep her. Oh, I'm allergic I'm to allergic. my humans. Get me another one. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if different people are more allergic than, than others. Like, you know how some dogs are less allergic than others yeah. or less allergy causing than others. Mm. Well, I'm allergic to like short hair on dogs because it's got little spikes oh. in my skin and I break into yeah. a rat which is so mm-hmm. horrible because I go to the gym with this dog there and I love this dog, but I can't mm-hmm. touch him because every time I touch him, I break into hives. And I oh was a God. dog groomer at one point in my life. I'm not that allergic. Yeah, that's probably why. It's crazy. Yeah, no, yeah. no. They reckon like if you get exposed to things like, um, you know, one of the professors that I worked with, he worked with exotic animals and did lots of stuff mm. with rats and rabbits and stuff um, in his early days. And then he stopped doing that and then he started doing it again. I had mm. to learn how to give EpiPens because he was so allergic <laughs> to some rabbits. So, yeah, yeah so he went like because of that exposure, you build up this, you know, weird allergy kind of thing. Oh so God. don't go away or your dog might collapse. Like if you go away for any length of time and then you come back, then, you know, she could get like intensely allergic. I don't know. Well, I'm just, that, I'm just going to have to give her more belly kisses or something. It'll be fine. But if yeah. I ever run a rescue, I'm going to do a thing like this dog is allergic to people who suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> allergic to children. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that'd be a great profile. Allergic to children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's actually really, damn it. I, know. I missed my opportunity when I was in rehoming. God, I'm dirty about that now. Thank you. I'm going to be thinking yeah. about that all the time. But you know what? We need I to know. take the mind off it now because that's just too irritating that I missed that opportunity. Uh-huh. And today we're going to have something a little bit different. So we've had a pretty rough couple of weeks with the stories mm-hmm. we've been telling. They've been quite intense and very people mm-hmm. on attacky. And I feel like we just kind of need to start to think, okay, maybe we need a break from, you know, person-on-person violence. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the Thanksgiving Day disaster. Have you heard of this one? I haven't. You gave me like a few little snippets just to kind of get me um, thinking about it, but uh, I had not heard about this, no. Yeah. 
Well, I figured instead of seeing people just generally being crappy to one another, we'd look at things mm-hmm. where did a really stupid thing and something very bad happened because of that. Mm-hmm. So right. it wasn't intentional, you know? Take a little of the malice yeah. out of it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good. Anyway, let's get into it. <laughs> so back in the day, and I know neither of us are really sports ball people, but, you know. We're indoorsy. Yeah, there's a lot of sports ball people, though. I realise this because the um that big football thing was on in America and Taylor Swift went Super to Super Bowl. There you go. So back in the day, this was kind of their Super Bowl. So there was this right. annual college football game in San Francisco between the California Golden Bears and the Stanford Cardinals. This was apparently like a huge deal. The Cardinals are tiny little bird. Oh, so cute though. <laughs> little red bird, isn't it? Yeah, they hunt in flocks. Had 11 deaths last year. Oh. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> so this was apparently a big deal and was known as the big game. This had been happening since 1892. So it was kind of well embedded in the local customs by the time this disaster occurred in November 29th of 1900. You know, just when the 1900s started. Many. <laughs> Not at the end, in like 1996. Yeah, when was this? 19 what? 30. 1900, exactly. Mm. On the dot. Oh, yeah. Mm. Right, on the dot. So the disaster happened then, but the game had been going for almost 10 years before. Mm-hmm. Now, the first game that they had was less than professional. The team managers literally forgot to bring a ball to, for the, the teams to play <laughs> at the game. <laughs> So they ended up starting about half an hour late while they looked for a ball for them to play football with. (laughs) So super organised. But they really weren't expecting there to be a big turnout and they definitely weren't expecting it to become such a big thing. And they apparently spent the evening after this initial game counting gold and silver coins, which after after collection had to be stored in grain bags. And Herbert Hooker who was one of the managers, he told Stanford Magazine that he'd never seen $30,000 before. And that was a lot of money back in the day. That's a lot of money for me right now too. Thank you very much. <laughs> I wouldn't say no. If someone wants to send us like a Patreon and it just happens to be $30,000, I would definitely I'd take it in $1 and $2 coins. I would. Mm, and I would giggle in a high-pitched noise. Yeah, it'd be amazing. I would too. I would join you. <laughs> I would be doing a lot of high-pitched giggling. That's it. I think we'd be going, oh, my, oh, my. <laughs> Anyhow. My precious. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we'll just leave her alone with the bag for 10 minutes. She'll be fine. Um, <laughs> now, this event was only going to grow, though, and it just went nuts. The following year, the local mayor, James Fellon, offered up a bronze statue of two footballers as a trophy to the winning team. And this just hyped things up even more. There's some (laughs) thing about like people getting statues of footballers. They get really excited about them. I don't know why. Mm. They're just Mm -hmm. dust collectors. But okay, sure. Whatever floats your boat. Not here to judge your home decorating. She didn't get a lot of trophies as a kid, people. Not one, actually. (laughs) Not a single one. No, no. I I did do netball, but I ended up making, you know how they pair you up with someone on the court and you're like, you end up chatting to them or maybe I Uh just ended up chatting to them and then I became friends with them. Yeah, you're not supposed to. 
yeah. yeah right yeah I ended up friends with the opposite team so I would like ignore the game every time right. I, every time I showed up we lost every time no. and never showed up by yeah. the end because they hated me yeah I was like I'm sorry I, I didn't just, get trophies I got no trophies none You've My- got to do the shoulder action, like shoulder them out of the way. Oh, and, no. you know. That's so rude. Yeah, you do. And do the scratchy scratchies, all that stuff. I was very competitive. Yeah, I, you would have hated me. My first trophy I got in my mid-30s and it was for doing a mud run oh, for charity <laughs> and everyone got one. <laughs> it's a participation medal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm good mm-hmm. at sports. Look at me. Trophies are good. Trophies are good. You can buy them. People like them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Our local team. Not the point. Well, they do sell a lot of trophies there. Apparently a lot of kids buy them and then take them to school and show their friends like they Mm -hmm. earned them. And I'm like, oh, that's a novel approach. Really? To the truth. (laughs) I love that. It's so naughty. But anyway, so I was kind of thinking that this whole game thing was a little bit jinxed because, because before the big disaster, there was actually a smaller little incident, we'll call it. Right. It was back in 1897, so three years before the big one. And they had just built these stands. So the contractor, JC Ware, who was the hired man to do this, was really anxious when he went to that game. So he went to the game and he was watching the grandstands that he had put up and he found that they were holding around 15,000 just overexcited fans and a bunch of extra young boys who'd been climbing over fences and dodging police to get into the stands so they wouldn't have to pay for the tickets because obviously they couldn't afford it or they didn't want to. So Mr Ware had actually told the organisers that those stands have a maximum capacity of 10,000 people. So they were way over by this point. I know. And he tried to raise this issue with staff and students who'd been helping to oversee the crowds and also with the spectators themselves. But according to him, he was totally ignored, which, you know, I think we can all agree is highly possible in a situation like that. Who's going to listen to this guy when they're busy screaming at people on the field? (laughs) Now, the game was only a few minutes away from ending and Mr. Ware was starting to do his sigh of relief when suddenly the stands gave away completely and they collapsed while still full of spectators. And luckily this time, though, no one was killed. But one young boy did get severely injured and was required to be hospitalised. They wouldn't publish anything about his injuries were, but, you know, I'm sure a few leeches were applied and he was right. 1900. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hang some onions around his neck. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had a person once tell me that if you hang onions outside of dog cages, that it will keep kennel cough away. But once the (laughs) onions start to sprout, they're no longer effective. (laughs) I was hoping that would draw that story out. It is so ridiculous. (laughs) She was so feisty when she was telling me that story too. She's like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're so dumb. And you know what? So yeah, no, now now I can finally say it. I'm sorry, lady, who told me that you're an idiot. You're an idiot. <laughs> like you are the stupidest woman. She also told me that hay is how baby mice were made. Mm, she does not understand the world she lives in. 
And she was Mm-mm. mean as a cut snake, that woman. So I don't feel bad about bagging her out. <laughs> Anywho. No, you don't. I'm my head wobble. Please continue. Yeah. Now, <laughs> so this is what we would call a near miss in the medical world. Unfortunately, three years later, they were definitely not so lucky. So all this rivalry and between the California and the Stanford team was really starting to build. They were talking about getting revenge and getting their trophy back <laughs> and all the usual stuff that people get whipped up by before attending a game. So this was going to be the 10th game because apparently they did like double games in some of the first years. And it was kind of like one of those pinnacle things and they wanted to make sure that they were all there because it was actually going to be the last one that was held in San Francisco and the last one on Thanksgiving because they decided to move it to earlier in the year to avoid the holiday. And they also thought that they would share the location between the teams so that one could have a home away and, and you know, share the, share the load, so to speak. Now, they estimated there was going to be a crowd of about 19,000 people. And it was going to be the largest event of its kind in the area. That's even huge for now. Like, you know, for rugby league even, like some of the stands, there was no way that they'd fit 19,000 people in some mm. of the smaller stands. Like, that's incredible. Yeah. Rugby league is the one with the little shorts or the one where they take their ears to the head. Uh, no, yeah, the ear taping. Oh, yeah, yeah. AFL is the little shorts. Oh, the little shorts. That's quite yes. nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, rugby league is the bigger, like more more muscular, bigger men mm. that do the hard on tackling. <laughs> oh, you heard it here, guys. Apparently, they like to tackle hard ons. I mean, hard tackling. Hop away, hard <laughs> I wow. apologize. That's amazing. I I want to watch what game you've been watching. Pull up what? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> A Freudian slip. I, well, well, it was not it a was Freudian Valentine's slip. Day because that would infer yesterday. that I was watching something like that. No. <laughs> no. Talk about the disaster. Move on. Quick. <laughs> okay. Anywho, there was literally no ass grabbing or hard on grabbing um, at these games, but they were still expecting a decent size crowd. <laughs> I don't know where you go, lady, but um, that's very interesting. Oh, anyway. No. So the days before the game, the field was absolutely swarming with tradesmen and workers. They were building the bleachers and the stands for these estimated huge crowds. And I'm sure they were reinforcing them considering all the stuff that had happened three years before. Now, the area was predominantly a working class suburb with, and this is important, um, it was with Irish and German families, low incomes, um, not a lot of money going around, that kind of thing. It was also home to a large industrial area, which actually surrounded the stadium. So it was where the San Francisco and Pacific Glassworks factory was located. And this factory was right next door to the playing field. And it kind of towered over it a bit on the north side of the field. So it was quite an imposing building. It also employed around 750 people. So a lot of the population actually worked there. So I thought for our listeners, I would give you a few facts about glass factories. So they use a lot of fire. (laughs) It turns out that's how you make a lot of glass. So, you know, necessary. In this particular glass factory, they had a massive enclosed furnace. 
it was this huge brick thing with like a chimney and they'd been working on it all week to build up the temperature to what they needed it to be so they'd be able to work with the glass so that temperature point is around 3000 fahrenheit which for our more australian listeners is 1608 and 48 celsius that's insanely hot but apparently that is actually the temperature that glass melts at according to dr google now in yeah well it's silica isn't yeah, it sand and like silica sand. silica sand now mm. inside this furnace they'd mm. been busy melting the glass so by the time the thanksgiving game was due to start at the end of the week it was literally molten glass like yeah wow. like literally just a river of, this sounds of glass in this big furnace thing so on the 29th of November at around 10.30 a.m., the patrons for the game started to arrive to watch the big game and began filling in the stands, and it was packed. They had like a standing room only section, and that was full to the brim, and fans were crammed in there like sardines, essentially. Supporters of California's team were wearing their team colours. They had little hats on with the previous year's score on them to heckle the opposing fans, as you do. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and groups from each team were trying to outchant each other. So it was this fun, loud mess, essentially. Once again, they <laughs> did not have enough police or security to handle the crowds, but you know, why does that matter? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. They needed those people just like they did last time to stop people doing silly things like climbing stuff and, you know, finding dangerous places to watch the game. But anyway. So there was a decent amount of people who couldn't afford or didn't want to pay the $1 entry fee. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot and like how tight can you be, but it's about 40 in today's money. And as I said before, this was not a high income area. So those Mm. people though, they had a single-minded goal to find a spot where they would watch the game without being interfered with by the popo. I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. An 11 year old boy called Herman Guring. I looked up the same name, by the way, so that is correct. (laughs) Well done, Tick. No name said wrong today. (laughs) Well, so far. Give it time. (laughs) He was one of those people and he tried to run under the fence, but he was spotted and chased off. Then he tried to climb a water tower, but he couldn't see the game from that spot. So he decided to follow this large flowing group of people who were heading to the glassworks factory outside of the stadium so because we remember it was standing over the field on the north side you had the perfect spot to watch the game uninterrupted for free and no one could really stop you now the game organizers they had actually foreseen that this might happen and they had sent the treasurer henry taylor to go speak with the glass factory plants manager james davis and they struck a deal with him to avoid it by getting him to supply people to prevent them getting up on the roof. And they paid him by giving him six free tickets to the game. So he was made fully aware of the risk to people getting up there and he agreed, yep, I'm safe and I want those tickets. So he said yes and took the deal. (laughs) Now, James, he'd been having a, a bit of a terrible run that year. In one of the newspapers, it was reported that he'd criticised one of the glass workers at work and the guy had beaten the absolute poop out of him. Like bad enough it 
the papers. <laughs> so he wasn't in a good. He needed that wow. game. <laughs> he did. Do you think the um, game organizers also knew that that was a great spot and it wasn't really about safety? It was more about make people pay for the tickets. You know, like do you? Highly yeah, okay. Wait, you think big sporting organizations <laughs> would care more about their profit margins than safety? Well, I never. Oh, I'm so sorry for thinking like that. So sorry. When has a large corporation ever done that? Come on, guys. Mm, no. Yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> Silly me. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> know your place, woman. Now, there is conjecture, though, that he was not aware of the size of the problem. This is this is the manager of the glass factory, that he wasn't like fully aware of how big of a problem this was going to be or that he believed in the honesty of his staff a little bit too much because it was said that he'd actually hired <laughs> people to go and prevent spectators from getting on the roof. And then there were reports that these same people were actually charging money for people to go up on the roof to make extra money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, 50 cents? I guess. I mean, enough that they, I mean, yeah, they would have been making some decent money if that's what they'd done. So anyway, this roof ended up positively covered in people. And even if at that point the staff had wanted to clear the roof, there was no way they could have done it. They reckon there was around 400 people up there. So Herman Goering later said that it was like waves at the beach, that people simply kept coming up from all the sides. I wonder what the roof was made of, whether it was like a concrete roof like the old I don't style think ones it was, yeah. um, it was mm. quite a flimsy roof but I'll tell you. what like, like <laughs> the yeah. tin roof with the like it was like light a in roof, it and the roof yeah, right. was designed only to support its own weight oh. it wasn't a structure made to carry wow. 400 people that's not what it was designed for and wow. it was it was quite a lightweight roof really so yeah it would have been like waves yeah. as they walked on it. You mm, would have felt exactly. the tremors. And there were so wow. many people on that roof that reportedly it looked black. And people were even covering the ventilator that helped to cool that furnace down below. So it was super safe. Oh. Mm. Oh, and the scary safe. part about this whole situation is that people were on the roof and they started to realise that this may not be the best idea. And a few of them were actually able to get off, but others tried and they couldn't because they simply couldn't move through the crowd. Now, wow. the, it's a giant mosh yeah. pit, isn't it? Um, now, <laughs> now, the factory workers were really starting to freak out at this point. They knew this wasn't safe. So they actually tried to call the local police, but they were told by the local police station that they were to approach the lieutenant who was based at the game to get the police that were already there to help instead of sending more officers out. So they did go down and they tried to talk to the lieutenant, but when they got down there, they were turned away at the gates by the police on duty, so they were never allowed to get to the lieutenant to warn him about the problems by the other police officers who were basically blocking them out. Mm, not my problem. Don't disturb the lieutenant. He's watching the game. Not to say that he did, but the lieutenant mm -hmm. may have said, unless something's on fire, leave me the F alone. Mm -hmm. now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now the game started without incident and it went that way for about 20 minutes. 
about 20 minutes into the game, though, there was this loud crash from the north side of the field and the game stopped in its tracks. Mm. Everyone stopped. Everyone started looking around to see where this crash came from and were staring in the direction of where the factory was because it had come from there. But they couldn't really see what it was. And then a fan from the California side got it in their head that this was a diversionary tactic from Stanford and they yelled out, it's a job, which basically means it's a distraction. They're just trying to distract the team. So naturally everyone believed this one person, apparently, and the game immediately resumed. Everyone's attention went straight back onto the ball. Didn't the roof just sort of dis- oh the roof wouldn't have disappeared because it just would have collapsed in the middle, right? Like in the middle, like a trapdoor, they said, like a gallows opening. Oh wow. So they would have not seen the whole edges. And the people on the outer edge may not have fallen initially either. Um, because people were holding okay, on to right. what was left of that roof. Now the band and the cheers all started and were so loud that no one could hear all the screams that were coming from the glass factory. Oh, my God. The first people to realise what had actually happened were the skeleton crew that was manning the glass factory at the time inside the building. Now Charles Yoitz had been working the furnace with Clarence Jeter. They described it as bodies began to hail down on them. Now, when these bodies are falling, they're not just falling and hitting the floor. They're also hitting the furnace. So at first, they tried to remove people as they hit the giant furnace inside using a really large, like, poker because the surface temperature of the outside of the furnace was around 500 Fahrenheit or 260 degrees Celsius. So the people landed on it, if they survived the fall, they immediately got serious burns. And while Charles was doing this, Mm. Clarence ran to turn the oil off that fed the furnace in a hope of kind of of cooling everything down. But I would say by that point, you don't have time. Oh, no. And it would take days to cool down a furnace. Yeah. I I mean, it took them a week to get it to that temperature. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Clarence later described to the local paper and he actually said it was a horrible experience standing there beside a hell pot and seeing human beings roast to death. We did the best that we could. Oh, I'm like, yeah. And I think the fact that they even thought to start essentially flicking people off the furnace was a great kind of initial reaction to that. Mm. Now, not everyone that had fallen when the roof went fell directly into the factory. Some actually managed to cling to those edges of the roof and one person told the local papers that the bodies were falling like hailstones. As I clung there, I saw the poor fellow who had been chatting with me strike the furnace. He curled up like a worm on that heat. Oh, my goodness. Oh, imagine that. You're holding on to your life and you've just seen what happens to someone who you were probably having a very pleasant conversation with not five minutes earlier. My goodness. Now, others had fallen through the roof, but had landed on people oh. who'd fallen before them. Wow. So they were injured, and then the people beneath them were injured a heck of a lot worse. And a local fireman said that there was so yeah. much chaos and so many victims that when they first arrived, they initially didn't even know where to turn. And these are emergency workers, like they have triage training. Mm. And they were there going, looking at the size of what was happening, just going, we don't even know 
where to begin like do you get the bodies off the furnace or do you start moving the people who have already fallen or do you just try and catch those people that are falling from the roof oh gosh I don't know like do you I can just see the whole you know that trampoline thing trying to catch them underneath but that'd take too mm. many people you'd have and to you'd deal be with stepping the on the people like, already on the ground oh it's just horrific how do you recover mm. from that like seeing that let alone being part of that oh my goodness yes and I don't think they had a lot of counseling available back in the day no, no. but I think we have to address the elephant in the room in the fact that I've been talking about men falling through a roof and I can see on your face you saying <laughs> it's raining men <laughs> I, it's, it wasn't appropriate and I was trying to hold it in I, yeah I no. was not it was not but it wasn't Let raining it out. It was hailing not no I, I will not it would be not appropriate because no not doing it not doing it now she's dancing <laughs> you know splicing raining men in here <laughs> no it's no i'm go, i'm still traumatized i go i guess i guess lightening up the moment is okay but still, I'm just thinking of the molten glass. Like, was that furnace mm. open or was it the outside of the furnace that they touched? Like, were they it was falling the outside into a vat of lava? It was no, what? no. It was just the outside that they were hitting. Oh. I don't think anyone went through it. But, yeah, it was it was not fun to even be on that outside. So if they did, oh, I, I imagine that would have been like just straight to the bone. bodies of glass. Like, oh, mm. yeah. terrible. So there were so many victims that the firemen had no idea how many people were actually injured. They were just completely overwhelmed. They ended up commandeering anything they could to help transfer the injured to the hospital, including wagons and butchers carts along with the ambulances. Oh no. Yeah. The police and ushers in the stadium called for any doctors to come and assist. But honestly, no one really paid any attention to those announcements and the game just kept going on and no one came. Oh, my goodness. While most of the spectators, crew and players didn't notice anything at all, like because, you know, crashing and screaming, um, mm. outside, of the, outside of the stadium, it was another matter. The ambulances were amassing and crowds of panicked people were desperately, were desperately trying to get into the hospital where the victims were being taken. There were so many people showing up at the hospital that police had to build a blockade to stop the families. Mm, wow. Yeah. I don't even think a hospital in a small country town or wherever, you know, would actually be able to take on potentially 400 or more people injured, let mm. alone their families as well. Yeah, that's it. And, and that's the thing, like the amount of people that were injured wasn't recorded. The fatalities mm. were recorded. So mm. there was enough that they had to build a blockade, which gives you an idea how many people were actually quite badly injured. Now, a paper at the time described it as looking at a battlefield. They wrote, little boys in knee breeches were laid on the floor all along the length of the hall, some writhing oh. with pains and calling for father or mother. That oh. was reported by the California paper. Oh. Now, the same fiasco was happening down the street at the city's morgue. The crowds were forming at the morgue as well and desperate family were there trying to see if their loved ones were inside. 
And of course, the problem was that a lot of the bodies were badly disfigured. They had serious mm. burns. And there was one story of one of the boys was a 12 year old boy called William Epplefield. He was only recognizable to his devastated father by his socks. Everything oh. else had been burned. Oh, no. Hmm. And as so happened in the time, these big events, these big sporting events attract a lot more men and boys than they do women. So most of the victims were young men and boys. The youngest actually was a a little nine-year-old. He'd just turned nine called Lawrence Meal. Um, And the oldest was a 46-year-old minor called Meek Van Dyke. So 13 people died that day with numerous people hospitalised, serious injuries abounding. And naturally, once everyone found out what happened, the celebrations after the game really got toned down out of respect for the families. Um, and also so because, the game you know, nothing. finished, did it? Yeah, the game finished. They didn't know what had happened. Who they won? They thought it was a trick. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> she's not sporty. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I could find out. I don't care. (laughs) No. (laughs) So, yeah. So, look, nothing puts a downer on celebrations for a winning team, though, like mass death. So Mm. there was the occasional cheer in the streets and then people like, you know what, we're going to not. We're going to not do that today. Yes, please. No, thank you. Mm. A few Mm. days later, the funeral started. Hector McNeil, who was only 14 years old, was the first to be buried. He was really sad, though, because it turns out he left behind his recently widowed mother and he was her only child. So in this very short space of time, she lost her child and her husband. And the kicker is she actually had given him some extra money to go and see the game, kind of as a reward, (laughs) because he was working days at the local store and attending night school. Oh, the next round of funerals happened on the Sunday. The funeral started at 9am and they went continuously until four. They buried nine victims in that day and they literally, the funerals were concurrent. They ran into each other. Mm. And and as I said, these are boys. They're not men. They're not, you know, the elderly who you expect to die. These were just kids no. who were just trying to have a fun day. So, yeah, so sad. Imagine having nine children buried in a day. It's just, ugh. oh, wow. Interestingly, none of the papers that reported the football game made any mention of the deaths. They all just kind of ignored it, like, oh, that's unpleasant. Let's not talk about that. Let's not bring that down. Let's bring the tone of the game down. Mm. In fact, there was only one paper that did it, and it was a student paper. And what they did was they wrote a cartoon about it. And it was basically this guy who was a Stanford supporter and he, as he died, he called out, hurrah for Stanford. I'm like, weird. Wow. Weird, weird that's as, that's as tasteless as the reigning man. <laughs> yeah. And also like, I think maybe screaming, but definitely not screaming that. No. And the glass factory steadfastly said that they had hired people to keep off the roof and denied taking any money or selling tickets which I think would be a fair thing to deny because embarrassing for one and Mm. massively unethical. Liability. Mm, Yeah, that too. Now, eventually they tried to blame the whole mess on the police, saying that they should have had a greater presence and been able to control the crowds, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, the court found that the blame rested squarely on the victims. 
as they shouldn't have chosen to be on the roof. And really, it all just kind of quietly went away. And that was the verdict given after just seven days. Wow. And four days after the death of one of the last of the casualties, who was the 22nd casualty, a 21-year-old Fred Lilly, who was a rich New York merchant's son. The final related death from this tragedy occurred three years later when 28-year-old Thomas Pedler, who had suffered some serious injuries in the accident, ended up paralysed. He had to have spinal surgery in 1900. Oh, that sounds safe. And he survived Mm. and painful. Mm. And then a double amputation of his legs finally succumbed to his injury. Wow. They actually seemed really surprised in what they wrote about him that he lasted that long. Apparently they had given him up for dead like on numerous occasions and he just kept rallying. Wow. So Thomas's death brought the final toll to 23 and the number of people who were severely injured or maimed, as I said before, weren't accounted for. So we have no idea what happened to them, which to me Mm. says you don't really know the death count because people can die years later from stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. So this whole event, according to the Stanford paper, is basically forgotten by the towns and universities in the area. In fact, the cemeteries have virtually no mark of this event ever happening so they wanted to remove the cemeteries from the cities back in the day and when they did that they got rid of all the headstones and everything that marked where these boys were and also the fact that it was such a poor area a lot of families couldn't afford a headstone but there is one one little stone left that marks one person's grave that happened at this at this horrible tragedy And Mm. it was actually meant to be a temporary marker. It wasn't even meant to be a proper headstone. And on that little marker, you can see the engraving C. McMahon, and it read that he, like many of the other victims, was only a child at 12 years old. Oh. So that's the story of one of the greatest disasters in American sporting history. Wow. And if you do want to read anything else about it, Stanford Magazine actually has written an entire piece on it, and a lot of this information came directly from them. It sounds like there wasn't much anywhere else either. There was mostly about the game. I'm like, who cares about the game, guys? <laughs> you need to let it go. You can go to Kmart yeah. and everyone can have a ball. Like, you don't all need to chase the one. <laughs> My Kelpie could outrun you. She chases a ball just fine. And looks good in shorts. Mm, she'd look adorable in shorts. Adorable. <laughs> Oh, you mean the players, not my dog oh, yeah. in shorts. Fair enough. Same, 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 same. Same, same. Fine. Anyway. Wonder how many ghost stories are from that area. My goodness. that I wonder if right. the glass factory, the building still stands or whether it was demolished. Don't know. Didn't say. I'd say it was pretty much demolished that day. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like it. Like, how do you, who cleans that? That's not fun. No. Mm. Ugh. So no. there you go. There's my slightly lighter story than what we've been doing recently. Oh, yes, yeah, so light. Yeah, really light, really <laughs> do, light. Yeah. Do you feel yeah. it lightened, guys? Oh, yeah, I, I do. Mm. I feel so light. <laughs> All the young, happy, you know, sports-going um, young men and children dying, you know, roasting to death on top of a yeah. terrifying, yeah, wow. Mm. In fairness, it was either that or I was going to do Ivan Milat. Yeah, true. 
Okay, fair enough. Mm. Both are quite <laughs> so light, horrendous. huh? So mm-hmm. light compared mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but we will be doing Ivan soon, guys. Don't you worry. Yeah, and his extended family. Anyway, <laughs> until next time, Darklings. Bye, bye, bye. bye.